Figure Developer Podcast, the podcast where we talk about new and exciting technologies, professional development, clean code, career advancement, and more. I'm John Calloway. I'm Clayton Hunt. And I'm John Ash. With us today is Cecil Phillip. Cecil is a cloud advocate at Microsoft, podcaster, teacher, swimmer, and music lover. Born and raised in Antigua, he now calls Fort Lauderdale home. Welcome, Cecil. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Like, it's funny, you were just reading the bio... And I thought, wow, like I, since the pandemic, I actually haven't done a lot of swimming. Um, you know, all the, all, at least all my gyms are closed and the pools are like limited use only kind of thing. But yeah, I, I really do miss swimming. It's been a long time. So, uh, yeah, it's not been too long since we've had John. Would you give our new listeners though a little bit of an introduction to you? Um, and then kind of catch us up with uh, what you're working on these days. Sure, sure, sure. So, um, so kind of like you all mentioned, um, I'm cloud developer advocate at Microsoft. I've been in this role for about three and a half years now. Um, it doesn't feel like three and a half years, but you know, time flies, right? When you're having fun. <laughs> um, yeah, I, born and raised in Antigua, man. I lived in the Caribbean until I was about 19 years old, and you know, came to Florida for school and college and stuff like that. And you know, I've just kind of been here ever since. Um, I've had the opportunity to work with. A lot of great folks across a few different industries. I, I used to work um, in healthcare at one point. Um, again, as a software developer, I wasn't a doctor or anything, so don't send me any <laughs> medical questions. Um, uh, I did stock trading for a little bit. I used to write like stock trading software for a little while. Um, I also worked um, for a company that did like HR as a service for a little bit, and that was pretty fun. Um, but all always being you know .NET, right? All .NET and web APIs and distributed systems and, and that type of stuff. And so I think if, if, if one thing that I could see like throughout my career, it's always been about like creating distributed systems and interconnecting different services. And, you know, long before we had the term microservices, quote unquote, and long before we'll get the next term next year, whatever, <laughs> whatever next year's term will be, you know what I mean? It's, it's always just been about, you know, how can we find um, clean and, and interesting ways to like interoperate between different systems? So I think if I take a look at what I'm doing now, um, what I think is very different from what I used to do before. So before I used to work on products, you know, I spent 10 years working on products or other people's products. Um, I don't work on products anymore. I can't say I miss it, to be honest with you. <laughs> I don't have any standups or deadlines or, well, I have deadlines, but not like, you know, I don't have code I have to check in for a certain day or anything like that. Uh, now what I do as an advocate is I actually... I work with products and versus working on products, which is a little bit different. So, you know, I, I speak to a lot of folks across the company, you know, across Azure and whether it's serverless or, you know, again, Azure Functions or, you know, .NET and different types of things. And, you know, just try to get an understanding of what their goals are and also what the community goals are and try to see how we can meet in the middle when it comes to planning and, and even just awareness about like what is what's possible. And you mentioned distributed systems and microservices and maybe a couple of other buzzwords. We brought you on today to talk about one of the newer buzzwords that kind of play in the, in that arena, Dapper. So can you maybe just tell us what, what is Dapper? What are we talking about? Sure. So I think to, to understand what Dapper is, let's, let's talk a little bit about 
what does it mean to build like a microservice thing? So when you think about microservices, you know, there's a few, a few additional buzzwords that come into mind, right? You hear Docker and Kubernetes and Prometheus and Zipkin and RabbitMQ and, 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 right? There's stuff there. And as developers, I, I think depending on the type of application that you're trying to build, you know, obviously if you're building something cloud native and you want to scale, you know, a mark, microservice-like architecture would probably make sense for a lot of folks if that's what they're trying to do. But now if that's the route that you're choosing to go down, now you have all these tools that you have to try and figure out, well, what's going to be the right combination of stuff that's going to make sense for me? So again, like if we talk, think about, well, hey, I need to have some type of messaging happening between my services, right? Like what protocols am I going to use? Is it going to be HTTP or gRPC or am I going to use AMQP with a message broker? Or let's say I pick a message broker. Which one am I going to use? Am I going to use AMQP or RabbitMQ or NATS or am I going to use something in the cloud? You know, and then, okay, well, let's say I'm writing it in Python or .NET or whatever. Are they SDKs? <laughs> you know, are they open source or do I have to pay for them? Again, and so I can keep going on and on, right? There's all of these things that we have to think about. There's all these trade-offs that we kind of have to make as we're determining, well, what does the toolbox look like for the app that I'm trying to build? You know, again, messaging is just one option, but, you know, you think about you might want to do something that does messaging. There's security, there's centralized configuration, there's tracing, Right. Like you have to look at all of these and figure out, well, what does my toolbox look like? And what Dapper does is, well, the team kind of looked at all of those different patterns and practices that, you know, they saw a lot of folks that were building distributed systems use. I'm like, well, how can we create like some abstractions over these that will make it a little bit easier? So, so what Dapper does is it provides this runtime that's it's very portable. It's language agnostic, host agnostic, cloud agnostic. But what it does is through these, these abstractions, right? And we call those building blocks. Through those, you know, building block abstractions, we can start to, you know, remove the need for the developer to know so too much about like that implementation that's happening on the backside. So let's say, again, your application might need something that's going to help me do messaging. Well, instead of me being like, okay, I got to pull in the SDK and I got to set the thing up and I got to do work, right? Instead, I could just focus on my code. And I could talk to Dapper and I could say, hey, Dapper, publish this message. I don't know where you're going to publish it, but you you figure that out, right? It's not my job to figure it out. It's Dapper's job. Just in the same way, if you wanted to do something like service discovery, you know, again, there's tons of tools that do service discovery today. But instead of me having to figure out, well, you know, what's the metadata that I need to pass to you to figure it out? I could be like, hey, Dapper, call this method on this service. And you're like, well, I don't know where the service is. I don't know how many of them are there. I don't even know if it's even in the same machine that I'm on. I don't really care. You figure it out and then, you know, it'll take care of routing the messages and coming back. So for me, when I think about Dapper, if I was supposed to give it like a really quick sales pitch, I would say it's, you know, it's just a set of best practices that make building microservices a little bit easier because now you don't have to focus so much on the implementation. Instead, you could just focus on, you know, just getting your job done. So what um, we'll get more into like exactly what Dapper is, but what what do you need for Dapper to work? So so obviously you'd have to install it, right? And Dapper, like I mentioned, is is a very lightweight executable. Um, it's written in Go, um, really fast. Works on any operating system, Windows, Linux, Mac. Works in Docker and Kubernetes environments and all these types of things. So it works wherever. Um, but to actually use it in this application. You know, there's only one of two things that your app needs to be able to do. You need to be able to speak HTTP or gRPC. 
you know, I know there's some older programming languages and we won't talk about those, but today most programming languages can speak HTTP. You know, most modern languages know how to speak HTTP and HTTPS. That's not like a, a new thing. You know what I mean? And more some of the more modern languages could speak to gRPC endpoints as well. So if you could speak to those, then you could speak to Dapper. Now, again, we'll we'll talk about the, the specific abstractions that are available, but just on a very high level, every abstraction has an HTTP or gRPC endpoint. So let's say you're like, hey, I want to, you know, discover a service that does this thing. Well, there's a well-defined template, a URL template that you could use. And, you know, you fill in the blanks, right? Like you say, hey, this is the service and this is the route. And here, Dapper, I'm going to give it to this method and you're going to call it for me. Um, you know, same thing with publish and subscribe, right? Hey, Dapper, I want to publish this message. I don't care where you're publishing it, but I'm going to give you the structure that you need, right, inside of my payload. And then I'm just going to call that particular endpoint. And it's going to go ahead and figure that out for me as well. So again, the, the big thing about Dapper, like I, like, and you'll probably hear me repeat this a few times, is that your app really doesn't need to be able to do much more than it's already being able to do, right? Like, again, like if you can call to HTTP, and I'm, I'm pretty sure most of our apps are calling some third-party API or something anyway, right? Like you could use Dapper. Okay. So you don't need, you don't need Kubernetes or Docker or random uh, buzzword for to, to be able to them, use no. Dapper? No, you don't need them at all. You can use them if you'd like. And, you know, most of our, most of the use cases, at least the enterprise level use cases that we've seen are doing that. They are running it in Kubernetes. And, you know, I know some folks are doing things with service fabric and Docker Compose and all these other types of things. But again, those are just there to, um, those are just there to like manage like the many instances that you need. Right. So, so why do you need many instances of Dapper? Now, Dapper uses what we like to call like the sidecar pattern. Right? So sidecar being like you have an instance of your application. And so now if you're going to quote unquote Dapperize the app, right? You have to have an associated instance of Dapper right next to it, right? And usually what we do is like we, we recommend that folks run that like on a local host type thing. You know what I mean? So you should have like direct line of sight to Dapper. You know what I mean? There shouldn't be anything between your, your instance of the app and Dapper. So if you think about it, if I have multiple instances of these things, again, you think about the, DAP, the Docker or Kubernetes world, you probably have multiple instances of a pod or a particular service, right? What you'll do is that, you know, for every pod, you know, each pod will have your application and it'll have an instance of Dapper, right? But again, like you don't have to run it in Kubernetes. So even if you want to run it on local hosts, you just have an instance of your app and you have an instance of Dapper. Now, obviously, if you're running on local host, you need to make sure that you're not running on the same port and those types of things. And, you know, all of that is configurable. But like I'm saying, for every instance of a thing, you'll have an associated instance of Dapper. And now they will just communicate right next to each other on local host. And at least from your application's perspective, like, you know, all should be good with the world. Now, one of the other things that's interesting about that sidecar pattern is, well, okay, if, if my app talks to Dapper and now there's multiple instances of things... And maybe even other things that I want to take dependencies on a call. How does Dapper know how to get there and where they are and how they live? Now, first of all, if you're saying, hey, okay, I want to do service invocation. I want to talk to another service. What happens is that when you stand up those multiple instances of Dapper, Dapper should be intelligent enough to know what your hosting environment is. So when I say your hosting environment, am I on local host? Am I on, you know, I'm in a VM? Am I in Kubernetes or Docker? Whatever the case is. 
And it's going to use the facilities of that, that, that host. It's going to use those networking facilities that are native to that space to try and figure out, well, what other instances of Dapper live here? Right. So again, if we're on local host, like it'll just use like MTLS or some local DNS thing, right? To try and figure out, okay, well, who's running here? You know what I mean? If you're running on something like Kubernetes, I believe Kubernetes has like core DNS and etcd and all kinds of stuff, right? You know what I mean? But again, you don't have to know about that. All you need to know is, hey, I'm going to stand up multiple instances of these things. But again, depending on where you are, Dapper will just figure out, well, there's more than one of me here. And now I'm going to share information about all of those instances, right? And so they should be able to find each other and then figure it out. So now once they've figured it out, let's say, you know, I might have like a John service and a Clayton service and a Cecil service or whatever the case is, you know what I mean? Each of you will have your own instance of Dapper. And I say, hey, oh man, John owes me money, man. I'm going to send him like a request to, <laughs> to you know, to check out or whatever. <laughs> you know, Dapper should be able to look around and find him like, okay, I found him. I'm going to go get your money. Right, I'm going to grab it and come back, kind of thing. And what happens if John is trying to skip out on the check and he doesn't respond? So then, then we have to shut his process down. That's what we got to do. <laughs> <laughs> and how does how does Dapper handle that? Does Dapper, can Dapper actually send some kind of message to shut a process down, or or what happen, What happens when the communication is shaky or just doesn't work? Sure, sure. So the the so Dapper is not a um, a process manager. Right. So when I say that, I mean, so Dapper doesn't control the lifetime of like the associated service that you're running. So let's say I have a, a .NET thing, right? A .NET web API or something like that. And my associated Dapper sidecar right next to it. Again, like these are two separate processes and Dapper only knows the port that it's running on. So what Dapper will see is, oh, okay, is this thing available on this port? Right. And as long as it's available on this port, again, like they'll talk to each other and they'll be like, okay, well, this service is available for you to call. But if you stand up your Dapper instance, maybe your app is running, but the, your app is listening on a different port. You know, Dapper can't restart your .NET process or, you know, do anything like that to manage it. Like that's still like a, you know, a personal thing that you got to try to take care of and figure it out based on like your host. So, again, like if we're talking about Kubernetes, you might want to restart the pod or, you know, if you're running on Linux, you might want to do a systemd restart or, you know, something of the sort to kind of manage the process. But what Dapper would do is it'll tell you, okay, well, this thing is available or not. But it won't be it won't be able to restart the process or anything like that. Okay. How distributed can Dapper be? Could I could I have like a service in Azure and a service in in Google and a service in Amazon all talking to Dapper and being able to communicate, or do they have to be do they have to be located like a pod where they're all kind of on the same network or or reasonably close? So Dapper, as of as we're speaking right now, I think the the current version of Dapper is one point one point one. Today, Dapper does not support going across network boundaries, right? So you have to be within like the same network cluster or segment or you know however you provision your things. You can have like multiple instances of Dapper or multiple clusters of Dapper in different places, but now you'd have to have some type of like ingress or reverse proxy that you'd have to go through to like jump between those, and you know you can do that type of stuff, but Dapper itself is not going to discover services today that live in other places. I say today because right now, if you go to the GitHub repo, there is a PR to update the way that it does service discovery um, to allow some external providers. And when you think about it now, what an external provider would do means that, hey, I won't just be relying on what's on the network. I could use something like 
console from HashiCorp or Eureka, which can collect all of my, my service registrations. And Dapper could be like, okay, well, this is the new source of truth and not just like my local DNS thing. And I could use that instead. But um, that PR hasn't gotten merged yet. That PR is just kind of, um, it's there uh, until the next version releases. But again, we're at 1.1.1. I think that's slated for 1.2. So um, hopefully that'll be out soon. I'm not sure on dates and things of that nature, but you know that PR will be in there at some point. And uh, hopefully we'll have a little bit more flexibility when it comes to that. I know you've kind of covered this a little bit, but so so Dapper sort of fits in there as another means, another way to communicate. What you know, if all we need is to be able to communicate HTTP to something that can talk to HTTP? Why can't what what's what's the benefit that it's bringing to the table? Because it's definitely bringing an extra integration point there. Um, what and I guess sort of ultimately what I'm driving at. What what are these use cases that Dapper is really you know solving? The main foundations and benefits of Dapper are those um, those building block abstractions that I spoke about. So if we if we kind of look at at what they are, um, I'm going to try to remember all of them. But if I don't, I apologize. Um, so today we support abstractions for service to service communication, um, state management, which is more like a key value store type state management. Um, there's pub sub messaging, observability, which you know is is pretty much integration with Open Telemetry for metrics and tracing and those types of things. Um, there's support for actors. So there's a lightweight actor model, which is great. Um, and another thing that's great too, because Dapper is language agnostic, you can have actors in different languages kind of speaking together, which is, which is a kind of an interesting scenario. And I believe the other one is secrets management. So if you wanted to do something like, again, not just configuration, but sequences in terms of using something like Azure Key Vault or HashiCorp, HashiCorp Vault, um, there are abstractions for those as well. So, so now that we have those building blocks, like what's, like, why should I care? Like, what's the point? And the case is, you know, once you have these abstractions, when you think about the dependencies your application needs or kind of takes in when it has to support all these different things, you know, your, your package.json or your NuGet file starts to like grow a little bit, right? Because I'm like, oh, I need a package for this thing and this thing and this thing and this thing and this thing, right? And, you know, what happens earlier too in the, in the early stages of your development process, you know, you might swap out like three or four different message brokers or, you know, um, observability things or whatever the case is, just so you can figure out, well, what's the best one for my use case? But that's, that's a lot of work, right? Like, and that's a, lot of, that's a lot of churn and a lot of check-ins and those types of things. The good thing with Dapper, if I'm just relying on those HTTP endpoints, unless I, unless I decide I want to use the Dapper client, which is, which is very optional, if I decide to just use and rely on raw HTTP, then as I'm iterating and I'm trying out some of these different things, well, my code doesn't really change. You know, what does change is the implementation of the abstraction. So again, like I was, like, like I mentioned a little bit earlier in the conversation, let's say I want to mess, publish a message on a particular topic, right? Now I might say, okay, well, I want to use RabbitMQ because I know I can run it locally and it'll work great. But then when I go to production, maybe I want to use something like, I think Google has like a GCP messaging thing. You know, we have Azure Service Bus inside of Azure. Amazon has its own thing, right? Maybe when you publish, you want to use one of those things instead, right? Because now, obviously, like you could run at a different level of scale than, you know, RabbitMQ running on my, you know, my laptop kind of thing. So, so one of the benefits is one, from a development time perspective, like one, it allows you to, again, kind of maintain a little bit more consistency in your code, a little bit less churn in your code. 
But also as you're experimenting, and this is something that we don't really talk about it much, but as you're experimenting, you know, you could, you could play around a little bit, right? Like you can enjoy like, an, you know, if you, I, I like to play around with stuff personally, but you know, not everyone's like that. If you like to play around, you want to try out a lot of different tools and be like, okay, well, how does this one work? Or how does that one work? Or, you know, um, maybe I like this UI better than the other UI, whatever the case is. Your code doesn't change all the time, right? As long as you're carrying out the same process, it's doing the same thing, then it's fine. Again, another example, right? Like I might say locally on my machine, I'm going to use Redis because Redis is lightweight, it works great, and I'm just using that as a key value store or local cache or whatever the case is. But maybe when I go to the cloud, maybe I want to use, you know, the the super mega cloud version of Redis, right? Or maybe I want to use Cosmos DB or something else to manage state, right? Something else that would make sense in a cloud environment. You know what I mean? Again, my code is not changing at all, right? The only thing that would change is your configuration for Dapper. And uh, most Dapper configuration is done with, you know, YAML files because, you know, every cloud native thing needs to have a YAML file <laughs> in 2021. Of but all you have to do is just change the settings within your YAML file. And now whenever your service, whenever your application makes a call for, hey, store this thing or publish this message, whatever is the configured provider that, you know, it'll just use. And again, I don't have to, I don't have to know about it. You know, Dapper would know about it and figure it out. So is that what would save us? Like, inevitably, I work with a number of different companies or, or, or speak with a number of different companies or clients or just others in the industry talking about they want to be more cloud agnostic, but inevitably they're using app services directly in Azure. They're using Azure functions. They're using Cosmos DB directly. Could could these just be lifted and shifted like that and utilize something like Dapper? Is there a, a better alternative? Is, is that the use case here? Um, so I'd say yes or no, for sure. Um, it's it's a little bit in the middle. I'm going to use that, what's that called? The, uh, the consultant's answer, and I'm going to say it depends. <laughs> Um, it depends because, so let's look at a specific use case like um, Azure Service Bus, right? One of the biggest asks for Azure Service Bus long before I started Microsoft has always been, can we get a local version of Azure Service Bus, right? There's no local version of Azure Service Bus. There's no offline worker today. So what happens when you're not on the internet and you want to test stuff and build stuff? Like, what do you, what do you do, Right. Um, well, you're, you know, you're kind of just out of luck in that situation. But what if instead I decided, well, I'm going to use Dapper, right? And now I could use whatever locally. So, you know, some folks use RabbitMQ as um, their, their local thing, or some folks even use Redis. Again, Redis has like some, you know, some streaming functionality that could mimic PubSub, right? Um, you could do that locally. And now when you go to production, you could use whatever you want to use, right? Again, you could use something like Azure Service Bus, which is cloud only. And so now that opens up like a different type of scenario. Now, something else that I would say on the other side of things is there's some cases where Dapper isn't always the answer, right? And I think what you need to do is you need to figure out, well, what are what are the reasons that you're actually using a particular tool or, or you know, service or whatever the case is? And is there anything specific about that tool that you really care about? So as an example, so if I'm doing something like state storage, right? You know, I have an object, I want to serialize it to JSON, I want to put it in a place and I'm going to pull it back later, right? And then that's all I'm doing, key value, dropping things in and pulling things out. That's fine. And that's a fairly abstract type of task, right? But if I wanted certain specific operations inside of Redis or Cosmos, or if I wanted to run certain querying functionalities and those types of things, 
then you probably want to just use that specific implementation because you probably have a, a, a business case that's like, because my application works this way, I need to call this thing. You know what I mean? So again, it's kind of like, okay, on my machine, when I, when I do Dapper demos, I have a few demos with some of those services that we mentioned, but then I also use MongoDB. Now, I've chosen to have a hard dependency on MongoDB. Like MongoDB is listed in my application SDK dependencies. You know what I mean? And I speak directly to it. I use what's it called? MongoQL or whatever that thing's called. Like I query using Mongo-specific query language because based on the app I'm trying to build, like that's important, right? I need to be able to have that fingering control over how that querying happens. And, you know, obviously when you, you know, you might want to have indexing and specific things like that um, based on that implementation. So in that case, for me, it wouldn't make sense for me to use a state store and go through Dapper to get to Mongo because now I'll be losing some things that I might think is important for me. You know what I mean? And again, and you could look at that across all of those different abstractions, right? Whether we're talking about PubSub or state or, um, you know, anything else, you know what I mean? Either secret store or whatever the case. Um, like you might have a specific use case. And so I guess it's the same thing, like as you're choosing those different implementations, even without Dapper, you know what I mean? Why do I want to use Service Bus, right? Why do I want to use Cosmos? Why do I want to use SQL Server versus um, MongoDB, right? Like you, you, you have to know what your app is doing and you have to know, well, what parts of it can I abstract a little bit and what parts of it do I, I really need to have like this very specific implementation of this thing. That's a good point. Are, are there any performance considerations that we need to account for? Yeah, when it comes to Dapper, um, Dapper, you can think about Dapper, it's almost like a proxy. And it's a very, very lightweight proxy. It, it adds like fraction, a fraction of a millisecond latency to your request. So it's, 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 not, um, it's not very disruptive when you think about your workflow. And I'll be honest with you, for most of us that are building distributed systems anyway, you know, the idea of having a proxy should be something that's pretty common to most of us, right? Like if you're talking to, I don't know, google.com, like you're going through a proxy, you know what I mean? If you're talking to your web service that's living on your local machine somewhere, you probably have like some proxy of some sort, whether it's Nginx or, you know, whatever. So for, for Dapper itself acting as a proxy, it, there's, there's not a tremendous amount of, of latency um, that it adds to the actual request. So, so no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry about that too much. What's, what's the, um, what's the story about, um, sort of bringing this into a legacy application that's already been doing things and, uh, but you're like, Hey, maybe we want to sort of have some of that flexibility into the future. What's, what's that story like? Sure. I think there's, there's two things that can happen in that space. There's the, the modernizing workflow right? There's a, hey, I have, I have a service or I have some application, right? Regardless of whether we're talking microservice or not, I have an app and it needs to call things, right? And so today, like I mentioned before, like your app probably has hard-coded, its own hard-coded abstractions because a lot of us like to wrap things and interfaces and all that types of stuff. Or it probably has like some SDK that you have buried, you know, within your business code already. So, you know, for you to add Dapper to that, you have to think about, well, what's what's the thing that I could kind of start pulling out? Like, what's the thing that I can kind of start abstracting? You know what I mean? Or even, do I even want to abstract this? Why do I want to abstract this thing? Like, what are, what are the benefits that I'm going to get from this? So as an example, you might have something that's, again, running locally and you decide, hey, I have this local, um, I don't know, this local MongoDB thing or this local Redis thing or this local messaging thing. 
we want to start that journey of us migrating to the cloud, right? So what's one of the pieces, what's one of the, the low hanging, the lower hanging fruit pieces that we could say, hey, okay, let's, let's change this from Rabbit to Service Bus, right? So let's look at how are we using queues? How are we using topics? How are we using some of these different things? And see if we could create like a mental model about, you know, what things are the what things are in here that are specific to the implementation and what things in here are really just us wanting to throw messages over the wall, right? And then try and create like some type of um, you know, again, like uh dependency graph or some sort looking at that. And then you can figure out, okay, well, now we can abstract this piece and we could turn we could start sending that over the cloud. And what's good about that is that you should already know how your app behaves, right? So once you have that baseline expectation, you should know, oh, okay, well, this was faster or this was slower or this is, you know, I've deleted more code that I've added in this check-in, right? Like, so, you know, my tests are easy to use or maybe they're harder to use, whatever the case is. Like you have an expectation and so you'll know whether or not it was worth it for you or not. The other side of it too, uh, out of that two-part story for me would be, well, how do I add new features now, right? Like what are, what are the new things or new capabilities that I'm thinking about adding to my application? And, you know, how much time do I want to spend learning a new tool when I say a new tool, like, again, maybe you might have developers that aren't familiar with the cloud and they don't know a lot about resource groups and security groups and all of these things that need to get set up. Your developers, again, can just focus on, you know, stocking a dapper and sending those very lightweight HTTP messages, which, you know, again, I'm going to assume that most developers can do today. And then on the other side, like whoever's handling your operations, you know, your DevOps folks or your infrastructure folks can just be like, okay, I'm just going to point this to a cloud thing. You know what I mean? And so you get your, you get your credentials and those types of things. And you set that up inside a Dapper. Another good thing about that is that now your, your, your developers, they don't need to see any of that. They don't need to handle any of those credentials if you don't want them to. They don't need to create any of those resources. Again, all they need to do is just speak to the endpoint, and then, you know, Dapper will just do what its job is. So regardless of whether you're talking about like updating existing features or moving new features over, um, I think the path is, is still the same, right? Like what's the abstraction that I need? Mm-hmm. And, and if it makes sense, you know what I mean? Then, okay, well, Dapper makes sense for me. But again, if you need more of a hard dependency on a particular implementation, again, you have to think about that and be like, well, why do I need this thing? Why do I need this tool? Why do I need this particular feature that lives here? Um, and obviously, you know, you do your, you know, your, your pro and co- pros and cons list and, um, and see if that would make sense still in that scenario. So you mentioned a sort of abs- the abstractions that we might have around uh, third parties. Well, this being an abstraction, also, <laughs> mm-hmm. one of the things I tend to do is wrap or abstract away third party things out of my own code. Yeah. But it is an abstraction. So uh, is that something definitely I probably should not avoid or avoid abstracting Dapper itself? Um, I mean, I, again, it, it depends. Um, it depends on what you abstract it with. I'll give you, I'll give you an example that, that I've used, um, even just from a testing perspective. So I have an app, uh, a demo that I use that, you know, one of the, let's, say, let's call it like the product service, right? Now, I have a product service that reads from a JSON file. And it just reads stuff and it pulls it into memory. But then I have another product service that I call that is the service discovery through Dapper, right? So it's calling another microservice that lives in some other part of the world to get those items instead. So for me, local testing, like that makes sense, right? But now when I, and you know, we could talk about dependency injection and all those types of things, but that's that's not really important. 
when I when I swap the implementation, right, instead of it pulling from that local file, now I'm pulling from Dapper. But again, that was something that I abstracted out because I was like, well, this is something that makes sense for this application. You know what I mean? Again, you might have an application that will... Well, you know, I'm probably not going to ever do read from a local file. Like, I don't really care, Cecil, why are you telling me about it? I'm just going to use the Dapper thing. And that, you know, and that's totally fine, too. So, again, I think it's it's one of those things that does just, it just kind of just, you know, it depends. Um, you know, it's like one of those scenarios where people like to to create repository patterns around databases. And I know there's always like a big, you know, <laughs> debate. You don't need to abstract the database, da 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 whatever, right? We never change the database. Well, you know, I can tell you in my experience... The database very hardly changes, but I have seen people change the database. <laughs> and I have seen what, what happens when people like, and not only change the database, but when they add a database. Because I think that's also a very common scenario where, you know, you might have a particular data store and you want to add additional ones based on what's needed. So I might have like a relational thing and I might have a key value thing. I might have a non-relational thing, you know what I mean? And um, based on that, now you have like abstractions upon that, that, that makes sense for you. So again, I, I'd always just tell you, it, it, it just depends. It, you know, it, it's based on whatever you think makes sense for your application. So the team took Dapper GA earlier this year, I think we said in February. Yeah. Yeah. What are the, the latest and greatest features and what can we look forward to coming in the near and distant future? Yeah. I think one of the things that, um, some of the things that you could look forward in Dapper are one, you know, definitely trying to make it easier for folks to to add their own components, right? So when I talk about components, we mentioned those different abstractions that are available. Now, all of those abstractions are implemented in Go today, and there's like a contract that you have to follow, right? I don't think Go has interfaces, but whatever their version of interfaces is, I don't know Go. I apologize to Go people. But whatever their versions of interfaces is, you know, you have to, you know, adhere to that contract, and now you can implement your abstraction for that particular thing. Um, I know what's one of the things that the team is looking at is, well, how can we make building abstractions easier and also more discoverable for the community in general? Um, one of the great things that we've seen over the past year or so is that most of the most of the um, the components that have been contributed to Dapper are, were not even written by Microsoft. Even though Dapper itself was a project that came out of Microsoft, you know, most of the components weren't created by us, right? They're created by other companies and community members and, and just different folks that just are really passionate about it, which is always great to see. So we definitely want to think about them and, and support them as that goes forward. Um, in terms of some of the other extensions that we're working on, um, today, what's in preview, which is really cool, I'd love for folks to, to try it out. We have something called Dapper Workflows. So if, you, if you're interested in how can I, how can I orchestrate workflows with Dapper, um, there's an extension that you can add that's based on Azure Logic Apps. Now, when I say it's based on Azure Logic Apps, Azure, Azure Logic Apps, the product today as it exists, runs inside of the cloud, right? So you have to go to, you know, portal.azure.com and create the thing and set it up and, you know, it exists within that world. But with, um, with Dapper Workflows, one of the things that you'll notice is that you're actually running the workflow offline on your machine, <laughs> And so they've, you know, the team has been doing some work around creating a logic apps runner, right? So when you create a logic app, like it creates a JSON file because, you know, JSON. And so it takes that JSON file and it, you know, inspects it and it just executes the tasks that are defined in there. And it's that same JSON file that gets created inside of the cloud. So what the runner does is that it's, it allows you to, you know, take whatever your different tasks are and you can execute them locally. 
Um, so I think that's really that's really cool. And again, because Dapper runs anywhere, you can run that wherever you run Dapper, right? So whether it's virtual machines, local machine, Kubernetes, Docker Compose, whatever, in the cloud, out of the cloud, you could you could be able to do that, which is which is cool. Um, I know the team is also working on some support for Azure Functions, which is which is going to be cool as well. Um, Azure Functions, a lot of people, folks don't know this, but Azure Functions is also something that you can run out of Azure, <laughs> which is which is interesting to have a Azure product that runs out of Azure. But um, you can actually run Azure Functions out of Azure, and so you know there's some extensions um, on both sides to one run um, Dapper inside of um, I'm sorry, run Azure Functions inside of that dapperized environment, but also too, you know, if you're familiar with functions in that serverless programming model, you know, there's a concept of um, triggers and bindings, right? And so the team has worked on some interesting triggers and binding support for that programming model inside of Azure Functions for Dapper. So again, you'll have a Dapper trigger and a Dapper binding, which will make, you know, if you're familiar with Azure Functions, again, it just, it's a, it's a natural um, progression as you want to work with that tool. Um, so we have that as well. Um, I've noticed tons of other um, things happening around, you know, service discovery and again, just making Dapper, you know, giving Dapper the ability to just be able to run in different places. Um, one of the things we'd also love for folks to try out as well is there's a lot of SDKs that are available, like official SDKs for different languages. I believe today we have Go, Java, JavaScript, Python, and .NET. Um, so again, if for whatever reason you choose not to work directly with that HTTP or gRPC endpoint, you can instead just pull in the the SDK and you can work with that as well. Um, you know that'll definitely save you a few lines of code. But again, if and I know for for reasons, right? Like different folks don't like dependencies, and I get it. Um, like these SDKs are definitely optional, right? This it's it's not going to be like, oh my gosh, like I have no idea how to do this without the SDK. Um, like there's tons of documentation available that'll show you to do it one way or the other, and so it should be, you know, you should be in a good place. Um, what else is going on? Uh, yeah, I mean, in terms of in terms of what's coming up, like those are really like the main things we'd love for folks to try out. Definitely try out the SDKs. Definitely want you to try out some of those um, preview version extensions to see if they work for you or what functionality for those particular extensions you think are missing. And, um, oh, and then recently too, the team just started a Discord channel because, um, you know, Discord is like the new thing, right? Um, so there's, there's you know, if you want to integrate with the team and speak with them, um, they, I think there's even channels for the different SDKs. There's channels for like some of the different components. So if you need help, if you just want to, just kind of come in and hang out and see what people are doing. Um, you know, we have a lot of folks in there that are posting blog posts and samples and just, you know, stuff that they're creating. So if you want to see what the community is doing, that's a great place to, to kind of find yourself. So you had mentioned the docs and then the Discord channel. Are there any other resources that uh, you might sort of point people to who are looking to sort of discover what Dapper is about and, and find out if, the, if it's something that they should be using? For sure. If you're, um, if you like reading... Reading books. <laughs> I know a lot of folks that read books anymore. We all watch YouTube videos on Twitch. Um, if you like books, there are a few free books that are available on Dapper. Um, so I think today, if you're a .NET person today, if you head over to um, .dot.net, so .dot.net slash architecture, if you head over to that um, URL, so it'll show you like some of our um, our architecture guides. And one of the books that's in there is .NET for um, is Dapper for .NET developers, which again is a free ebook. Um, free is in like you can just download it and you don't need to give me like your email address to get the book kind of thing. 
And um, again, there's tons of examples and, and stuff like that. Um, you can download it in PDF or you can just read it on the web, you know, regular HTML kind of thing. And so that, that works well too. Um, if you go on YouTube, so the Dapper folks have a channel. Um, I believe it's just Dapper Dev on YouTube. And so you can go on there and you can see their community calls that are available. So you could, you know, every month or every other month or so, like the team is talking about updates and road mapping and plans and stuff like that, which is really good. Um, there's also a lot of conference videos. Um, I'm a big fan of watching conference videos, like after the fact. So if you like watching conference videos, there's tons of videos online, um, you know, different meetups and things of that nature of folks doing Dapper stuff as well. We've sort of asked this question before, but uh, maybe you have some some more insight for uh, people. Sure. Uh, what has been helpful in your career that you might share with those just getting started or those looking to level up their own careers? Yeah, I'll I'll tell you one thing that that's come up more recently, and and that's the concept of fear. Um, and not fear as in like I'm afraid to type code or anything, but like fears in terms of you know a lot of folks. It's very easy for a lot of folks to find self doubt when they're doing things. You know what I mean? And a lot of the times, you know, I'll, I'll give you a very specific example. I had a friend of mine that did this class on um, DevOps, like a DevOps bootcamp class. And she was, you know, she was really excited to do it. She was, she loved the material, but then when it came down to like the final test and now she's having to like apply for the jobs, like that energy, like she has the same level of energy, but it turned from excitement <laughs> to like nervousness. You know what I mean? Like the energy kind of like turned upside down. It became something different. And I'm like, you know, regardless of whatever it is that you're doing, um, you need to you need to know that like everyone's going to be afraid and no one knows what they're doing, particularly in technology, because things change all the time. So if you're concerned about like not being able to do something, then just just know that you're not the only one in the room that has no idea what they're doing. <laughs> like most of us, most of us <laughs> just figure it out as it goes along. Right. Like it's, you know, computer science and technology for me, I always look at it as it is a problem solving job. You know what I mean? So that means that you will get problems that you have to figure out. If you already knew the answer, it wouldn't be problem solving. It'd just be, it'll just be rinse and repeat, right? Like this is not a rinse and repeat field. This is a problem solving field. You know, take solace in knowing that you're not the only one that's afraid and who has a lot of things at stake based on their success. And, you know, we're all just trying to be better, you know what I mean? And um, for those of us that have the ability or have had the privilege of being here a little bit longer and, you know, have a little bit more comfort. You know what I mean? Like, it's important for us to just let them know, right? Like, let everyone else know that it's okay and you're going to be okay and we're all going to figure this out together kind of thing. Yeah, that's excellent. Yeah, I, uh, I'm i a lifelong, lifelong learner because I'm I'm hoping I can learn it before they find out that I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> get the job and then figure it out after you, after you get in the door. So uh, where can our listeners go uh, to follow you? And just sort of keep up with uh, what what you're working on. Sure. So I do a a couple of shows on um, on Channel Nine. So Channel Nine is Microsoft's developer video portal. I guess you could call it. Um, you know, we post a lot of you know things about AI and Azure and .NET and all these types of things. Um, I have a show called the On.NET Show, which we do every week, uh, a couple times a week now, actually, where we talk about product updates. We have a live version of the show that we do every Thursday at um, 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And, you know, we have community folks on here. We have product team folks on here. Um, you know, we've had some kids on there a couple of times and some students, which has been really fun. 
Um, but just to kind of just show folks like what's the community doing? What are we working on? Um, you know, what are some of the exciting things that, you know, people are, are really diving into? So, so that's definitely one place. Um, I'm also, you know, I'm also pretty active on Twitter. I post random things on there like everyone else does every now and again. But uh, yeah, feel free to reach out to me on Twitter or on um, LinkedIn as well. Um, it's at Cecil Phillip, but anywhere. Um, if I can't get at Cecil Phillip, I'm not going because, you know, brand <laughs> consistency. <laughs> but um, but yeah, so definitely find me in those few places. Um, I also have a podcast that I restarted with my friend Richie Rump called Away From The Keyboard. We actually started a podcast five years ago and we were good for about two and a half years. And then, you know, life kind of happened and we put it on pause for a second. But uh, we recently started interviewing folks again. So, you know, if you're interested in hearing stories about developers, but stories that have nothing to do with technology, then, you know, that's definitely a good podcast to listen to. You know, we like, we like to say, we like to take the approach of, you know, let's go to the, the developer coffee shop, right? Or, you know, let's sit down and close the laptops and let's, let's talk about people and let's not just talk about technology. So uh, we've had some good conversations there as well. So if folks are interested, definitely, definitely check that out. Excellent. Yeah, sounds great. Well, Cecil, thanks so much for joining us today. We really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us. Yeah, this has been great, man. I mean, I'd, I'd come back anytime you, you guys want me to come back. <laughs> so yeah, let me know. That was Cecil Phillip. Cecil is a cloud advocate at Microsoft, podcaster, teacher, swimmer, and music lover. Born and raised in Antigua, he now calls Fort Lauderdale, Florida home. If you like this episode, please like, rate, and review on iTunes. Find show notes, blog posts, and more at sixfiguredev.com. And catch us live each week on Twitch. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at SixFigureDev. This has been another episode of the Six Figure Developer Podcast, helping others reach their potential. I am John Calloway. I'm Clayton Hunt. And I'm John Ash. 